a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're very pleased to have joining us on the program today, Elizabeth Smart. Of course, uh, over the past 20 years, Elizabeth has been able to uh, accomplish an extraordinary amount of work, especially in a role as an advocate. Uh, It was 20 years ago that a story caught the nation and the world's attention. And we want to focus on beyond that, uh, because that that is really where I think Elizabeth's life and worth has has been focused. And uh, Elizabeth, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Many people have focused a, a lot on the fact that it was 20 years ago that uh, the, the the story really began and the horror really began for you. Uh, I know you like to focus on the day that uh, you got home uh, and, more importantly, what you've been able to do since then. But give us some context uh, from your history in terms of what you've been able to do over these past 20 years. Well, I didn't ever hear of a story that was like mine prior to my kidnapping. So I felt very isolated after I got home. I didn't think anyone really understood what I had been through. But at the time that I got home, my dad was working on a piece of legislation called the Amber Alert, which I'm sure probably everyone is more or less familiar with. And he started to talk to me. And I remember at the time thinking, it's a good idea, but actually how many people are there that are kidnapped? And I know that's a very naive way of looking at it, but I was 15. I came from a very sheltered life before my kidnapping. And then my kidnapping, I was very cut off from the world. So it wasn't, these weren't statistics or numbers that I was familiar with. I really didn't have any idea of just how common kidnapping and sexual violence truly is. But I was like, my dad asked me if I wanted to be involved. And I said, well, sure, I'll go with you. And that was kind of how it all started. Uh, We worked together on the Amber Alert. We worked together on the Adam Walsh Safety and Protection Act. We worked together on the Sex Offender Registry. We worked on state legislation together. And just over the years, it just continued on to the point where, you know, I took over the Elizabeth Smart Foundation because my dad used to run it with me. But then, you know, there came a time where I stepped in and took it on full time. And most recently, we merged together with the Maloof Foundation, which has been an incredible experience. And honestly, for all of the things that you could say that I've done in the last 20 years, I feel like the next 20 years will be even more impactful and pivotal. Uh, I, I love that. I think that's so uh, so vital. You mentioned both the Elizabeth Smart Foundation and this combination with the Maloof Foundation and, and really having this focus on bringing hope and ending the victimization and exploitation of sexual assault through prevention, healing, and advocacy. And obviously through your own experience and through what you've been able to do, 
uh, over the last 20 years. I, I do think it is about what comes next. And so I want to talk about some of those things that you are working on now in terms of your advocacy work. One of those I know is a very specific campaign uh, called We Believe. Tell us about that. So it's We Believe You, and we run it every November. And it is honestly probably the campaign that is most near and dear to my heart. I have been able to travel all over the country, even outside of the country, and everywhere I've gone, I have had so many survivors approach me, tell me their stories, and then say, but I've never told anyone this because I don't think I'll be believed, or I tried to tell someone this, and they didn't believe me. And it has broken my heart. And beyond breaking my heart, it also helps me realize how fortunate I truly am because I never had to question whether or not I was believed. And I've there have been times that I've tried to imagine where would I be? Did I not have all this support? If I thought that people thought I was lying, I mean, that would be incredibly difficult. It was the worst nine months of my life, the worst things that have ever happened to me. What would it be like to feel like people thought I was lying? It would make it almost impossible to move on because how could you let it go if you had nowhere to let it go to? So this campaign, I want survivors. It's really almost triple fold because on one hand, we want survivors to know that they are believed, they are supported, that we are there for them. They don't have to be afraid to share their stories. We want to be able to educate communities on how to respond because there's a person who is sexually abused every about 70 seconds. I mean, really, that's about one every minute. That's a very frightening number. I mean, that is a lot of people experiencing sexual abuse. And it's even scarier when you think every nine minutes, it's a child being sexually abused. That's terrifying. But what are we doing to teach people how to respond to that. I don't know of really anything out there, but it can be really intimidating, especially if it's someone that you love and they come to you and they share what's happened and it's like a tidal wave of emotions hitting you at once. It can be really intimidating trying to sort through those emotions. It can be very overwhelming trying to figure out, well, how can I help you? What are you, why are you telling me this? Like, what should I be doing? And so, We want to also educate our communities on how to respond. And then also during the month of November, we are the donations that we receive. We go to what's called a We Believe You Fund. And this fund is for those survivors that have expenses that have fallen through the cracks because there's a lot of really great programs out there that will help cover a lot of different expenses. But there are also a lot of expenses that tend to fall to the cracks, that there isn't a safety net for. For instance, I met a woman and she has a horrendous story. I mean, literally every time you think it can't get worse, it does. And she was able to escape out of this terrible situation. She went to the hospital. Uh, They did a whole checkup on her. They performed a rape kit on her. Usually the state will have a program that will cover a rape kit. For whatever reason, somehow this fell through the cracks and she was getting a bill for her rape kit. I mean, of all the medical expenses you experience in your lifetime, getting a rape kit is not one you should have to cover. And actually, she was kind of the inspiration behind the We Believe You Fund because we had an anonymous donor come forward 
and say, I want to cover the rest of her medical expenses. And that was the beginning of the We Believe You Fund. And those are the kinds of expenses that we want to help relieve survivors of. Uh, so important, such critical work. And I know that's just uh, scratching the surface of all the things that you're doing. I know you have a smart defense uh, initiative there as well. Uh, give us just a quick snapshot of that uh, before we let you go. It's amazing. And we have the most incredible director. She is almost a head shorter than me, but she is a powerhouse. And the most important thing about smart defense is that it is trauma-informed. Our director, a survivor herself, so she understands what survivors go through, and she's gone through all of the trauma awareness training that there is. So as she teaches and instructs classes and makes makes sure that other instructors uh, who are teaching are informed as well, I mean, she takes it very seriously. And it is a combination of, honestly, dirty street fighting, uh, Krav Maga, Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai. And it does change because we want it to be the best. So as we learn more, it grows with us. So you can go to ElizabethSmartFoundation.org, go look at Smart Defense, see if we have a studio that's nearby you. If we don't, go to our online program because we do offer it online as well. And make sure you take it. And don't just take it once because once isn't enough. I mean, I've been through plenty of self-defense programs and they're great and I'm a fan of them. But if you only take them once, I mean, it won't really sink in because in that moment of, of shock and that moment of fear, it's whatever comes to you naturally. That is what happens. So if you're not constantly practicing self-defense or, or smart defense, that tool won't be there for you when you need it. So it is important to continue to practice, to continue to go back, to review the material, uh, to try to get to an in-person class. So important. And uh, all of this, uh, whether it's creating space for these conversations to happen, whether it's opportunities uh, where you can really empower and enable people to come forward with confidence or being prepared uh, to be able to have that smart defense, uh, opportunity always favors the prepared. And I think that's so important, especially uh, in this era that we live in, sadly, uh, where we have to be aware of, of sexual assault uh, and victimization, so many other things. And uh, Elizabeth, we thank you for your example of not only how to survive and thrive, but to succeed and move forward uh, and to take others with you in that process. And uh, for both the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, the Maloof Foundation, that's a that's a great one-two punch. And uh, we thank you for what you're doing. We look forward to more good things yet to come. Thank you very much. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, some final thoughts from the greatest of all, Muhammad Ali, less than six years after his passing. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.